I'm David Swanson. I'm the pastor here at First Pres, and um, I think the older I get, the more uh, nostalgic I get on this night. It's hands down my my favorite night of the year um, because families are together, and um, I, I walk through the sanctuary and see so many of you, and um, and you've been through hard things. Some of you have had an incredibly hard year, but you're here. You're here. And I can't tell you what that does to me. The testimony of your faith to come to a place that frankly is hard to come to because you have questions. And I know that in our heart of hearts, all of us come into this place with our own wounds and our hurts from the last year. And we come because we need the hope of what this night offers. And I pray that you will find it in your time here. Find it in the name, the person of Jesus. And welcome to those of you who are in the overflow room. Um, And we set that whole thing up so that you all would give to our new building campaign to build a bigger sanctuary. No. Totally kidding. We're, there, there are no capital campaigns. Just kidding. But I am uh, grateful that you are there, and I pray that worship will be a blessing to you. Uh, Tanner uh, neglected you completely in what he was saying and forgot to tell all of you parents that when this service is over, you need to not pass go, but go pick up your kids uh, in the nursery because there are going to be a lot of other people bringing their kids, and there's going to be a lot of So I'll give traffic instructions when the service is over, but parents especially, uh, please be aware of that. So with that, let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Lord, thank you that you draw us together as your people tonight. It is a holy night. And Father, we, uh, we resonate with that line that the weary world rejoices. In so many ways, oh God, we're, we're tired. We're tired from what life has thrown at us this year. But I pray that you would meet each person tonight at the point of their need. You would speak into their lives and their hearts and that they might come away with a fresh, new understanding of what they think they already know. So would you come and bless us now and overcome the sinful, broken nature of my life, that you and you alone would be glorified tonight. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. The text this evening is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people on whom God's favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. It's the good news of the incarnation. And I pray that by the Spirit of God, we might see it in fresh ways tonight. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm sure at some point in your life, you've had one of those moments, um, I can assure you, uh, preachers have these moments all the time, where you're doing the best you can um, to communicate, but whoever you're trying to talk to isn't listening, right? And there are sad days for preachers where we stand up and start talking and we look out at all of you and you just have blank looks on your faces like I'm talking Chinese. Um, it's very disconcerting, um, but I've, I've lived to learn to live with it. Um, but it is, it is a frustration. And, you know, sometimes you can be at a party and you're talking to somebody and, and their eyes dart and they're looking over your shoulder or they see someone else come in the room and you're trying to tell them something important and they're just not paying any attention. And uh, this was one of the pet peeves of our 32nd president, Franklin Roosevelt, this used to make him nuts. He used to have to stand in so many different receiving lines as dignitaries came to the White House for various things, dinners and events and such, and he would stand in the line. And he said he wanted to engage people. He wanted to talk to them. But as they came through the line, he realized that everyone was so overwhelmed by the White House and the, the surroundings and everything that was going on that it seemed no matter what he said to them, that they would always just look at him and say, oh, thank you, Mr. President. You're doing a fine job. Good job. Keep it up. And then they'd they'd keep going. And they wouldn't pay any attention to what he was actually trying to say. And so he decided at this one event that he was going to do something different. And he was going to lean in to each person that went by. And he was going to say, welcome to the White House. I punched my grandmother this morning. Welcome to the White House. I punched my grandmother this morning. And so he's doing that. And it's just like he thought it would happen. He keeps saying that line, I punched my grandmother. And they go, oh, Mr. President, fantastic. You're doing an excellent job. Keep it up. And they would go on down the line. Until towards the end, the ambassador to Bolivia comes down the line and he gets to the president. The president says, welcome to the White House. I punched my mother this morning. And without missing a beat, the ambassador to Bolivia, totally deadpanned, he said, don't worry about it, sir. I'm sure she deserved it. <laughs> Finally, I mean, I'm sure he hugged the guy. Finally, he had been heard. Right, and that's all he wanted. That's all we want. And I would imagine at this time of year, it's probably the only thing our God would love for all of us if we could just hear what he's trying to tell us. And he tells it to us over and over again. We've seen it acted out by our children, Luke chapter two. We've heard it sung in songs. And because sometimes familiarity breeds complacency, we think we know what it is. But have you noticed that in the, in the providence of God, the way he set up the church was that certain things would be repeated, that there were certain things that he wanted to be sure we understood, things that we got down pat. And so he said, every year, we're gonna remember my incarnation and we're going to build that many times around Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. But see, it's become so familiar, y'all have kind of stopped listening, right? Even when I started reading, 
Those words, you probably started thinking about what you're gonna eat for dinner, right? You, you just kind of think you know that. Well, why does God repeat things to us all throughout the scriptures? Why would he set it up, right? He, he didn't set it up so that we would read Psalm 18, 6, or Philippians 3, 14, or Revelation 12, 12. I don't even know what those verses say because they don't get repeated every single year in a special service. But Luke chapter two always does. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bet you, you've heard it so many times. Some of you don't even go to church and you're here tonight and you know what it says. Go with it for to us this day in the city of David. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby and see, gold stars. Y'all get it. But see, my, my prayer is, we think we know it and we don't. And that's why God has to tell us every year at this time of year, he wants us to come together and remember. Why does the incarnation matter? And I think that our fifth of the original songs of Christmas is gonna help us do that. Now, for those of you who haven't been coming to First Pres during the Advent season, we've been in a series called The Original Songs of Christmas. So we love singing Christmas carols. Those are great. But the original Christmas carols come out of Luke chapters one and two. And it's Zechariah's song, Elizabeth's song, Mary's song, Simeon's song. And tonight, the fifth one is the angel song. And there's a pattern to all these songs. And we talked about this last week. The pattern is the Holy Spirit comes down. The Holy Spirit's always involved because the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit comes down, is a part, comes upon a person to confirm a promise that God has made. A promise comes at some point. And then, as we talked about last week, a lot of times after the promise, there's a long period of waiting. Sometimes the fulfillment of the promise doesn't happen very fast. But there's a promise made, and then whenever the fulfillment of the promise comes, that's the third thing. And after that, the people who see what the Spirit reveals, that God kept his word, he did what he said he was gonna do, then they burst forth in joyous song. And so we get the same pattern tonight. We get the presence of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, throughout the Old Testament, we get the promise that's been made and revealed through the prophets that there's gonna be this Messiah. And he's gonna enact the plan of God to redeem and save the world. And then we get verse 10. And an angel appears to these shepherds. And out of nowhere, see, that's the difference between the first four songs and the fifth song. The fifth song is not sung by human voices. The fifth song is sung by an angelic choir. First, there's an angel and he says, verse 10, what we just said, I bring you good news of great joy today in the city of David. A savior has been born to you as Christ the Lord and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Say that fast, right? That, what is that? See, again, we, we're so familiar with it. It doesn't even connect. The angel says to the shepherd, what you've been waiting on for generations, for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's happened. He's here. And then this amazing thing takes place. The mighty hands of God tear a hole 
in the lining between earth and heaven. And he shows heaven to the shepherds. He tears open whatever exists between the physical world and the spiritual world. And all of a sudden, there's the company of the heavenly host. And they're the ones who are going to sing. And people, isn't that what we want? Don't we want to see always what's happening behind the scenes? Don't we want to know in all the trouble and all the struggle that we've had in the past year, don't we somehow want to know and believe that this is not all there is? There has to be more than this. There has to be a God who loves me. There has to be a God who wants to do something about that. And that's what he shows the shepherd. That's what he shows us. He rips a hole between heaven and earth. And he says, look, look. It's why he wants you to come every year and talk about this. Because this world is not all there is. Look. And when we start to look, what happens? What do you suppose those shepherds were thinking about in that moment? Do you think they were thinking about their indebtedness? Do you think they were thinking about what was wrong in their family? They were not thinking about any of their struggles or their circumstances. They were wrapped by the glory of heaven. And friends, that's the first thing that we need to understand tonight. That Christmas Eve is about God tearing a hole between earth and heaven so that you can see that there's more to this life than meets the eye. That there is a spiritual world in which God is at work trying to show you through his son, Jesus, that you are loved. And when we see it, all of a sudden, the circumstances fade. They don't disappear, but they're not the focus of our attention. It's the glory of God and the wonder of God. But then second, it takes a strange turn, doesn't it? Because what you and I have seen all these years is a cute little thing where the children act out the Christmas story. And there are some churches, oh my goodness, they have live nativity scenes. People rest assured, First Press will never have a live nativity scene. Not worth the trouble and effort. But the, the shepherds look up. And what it says is there's a company of the heavenly host. Company and host in Greek are military words, they're army words. It's one company of of angels who are clad and arrayed for battle. So when heaven opens the shepherds, we're probably looking for something a little different than that, but all of a sudden what God reveals, it's a war that he is declaring Because up until that point, since Adam and Eve broke with God, Satan, the prince of darkness, has ruled the earth. And God would do an occasional thing through the prophets along the way. But when God dropped Jesus behind enemy lines on that first Christmas day, it was a declaration of war that God had incarnated himself to start taking back the world that was rightfully his. And he's been doing it through his church ever since. So this is not cute little cuddly animals. 
This is a heavenly host arrayed for battle because that's part of the spiritual world that when heaven gets revealed, God says, look, there's more to this than meets the eye. And part of it is you're in a spiritual battle whether you like it or not. So game on, you're in. And if you're in, then don't you think you need to be prepared? If you know you're going into battle, are you just gonna blow that off? Or is it time for all of us to look at the world and realize the stakes and begin to say, I need to do more to be ready for the world that my family is gonna be part of. People, that's why we disciple your children. And yes, we want your kids to have fun. We want them to come here and have a good time, but we wanna disciple them well so that they understand their role and that they are equipped when they grow up for the battles that they're gonna face. You prepare your child for the road. You don't prepare the road for your child. That's why we have adult discipleship. That's why you have a spiritual formation hour. What are you doing? If on Christmas Eve, God says, look, there's a battle going on for hearts and lives and souls and you're in it. What are you doing to get ready? And see, the, the, the song hadn't even started yet, right? And what you've realized is this world's not all there is. There's the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God while at the same time we recognize that Jesus coming to earth was a declaration of war, that he came to the earth to accomplish something, to take back what belonged to the Lord, then the song comes. And this heavenly host, kind of think of it as like the Naval Glee Club or something, right? You're not expecting them to sing, but they're actually pretty good. Imagine how good this song is. And what's the first thing they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. You know what that says? It says this life is not about you. And I know in this day and age that we get taught and instructed to believe that the self is our highest and best end, that we should be taking care of self, that we're number one. But the first line of the angels is the reason for the incarnation is so that God can once again receive the glory that he alone is due. That's why you exist. And until we get that right, we're always gonna be floundering. We're always gonna be trying to figure out why am I here and what am I supposed to do and why am I not happy? Until you know that the reason you've been put on this planet is to glorify God, you'll always be wandering. You'll always be lost. But when you figure it out, when you realize it, Friedrich Nietzsche said, he who has a why can endure almost any how. What's your why? And if you think your why is yourself or your family, I'm telling you right now, it's not enough. That'll never be enough to sustain you. It'll never be enough to make you happy. You have to know what your why is. And your why is the reason God put me on the planet. I am a character in God's play. God is not a character in mine. God put me on the planet to glorify him. I was being interviewed by a guy the other day and he says to me, why are you still a pastor? I thought it was such a weird question. Why am I still a pastor? Like, are people trying to fire me? Like, I, I don't know, I haven't heard that. Um, but he says, no, the last three years they've been so hard, so many pastors have quit. Why are you still a pastor? And I said, because it's my why. I've been put on this earth to try to communicate the hope of the incarnation, the hope of Jesus Christ to a hurting world. And God's made it very clear I'm not done yet. But that's no different for me than it is for you. 
in your vocation, in your home, in your relationships, in your friendships. The reason you exist is so that in the midst of all those things, you will bring glory to God, that you will honor the Lord. A friend of mine sent me a prayer, and this is what I hope and pray for all of us. He says when he, he was praying this prayer for pastors in this season, but it's not just for me, it's for all of us in the Christian life that when we throw ourselves across the finish line, at the end of the Christian life, at the end of a long marathon, may he have or she have a sense of spent delight. You ever had that where you're just exhausted, but you're exhausted in a really satisfying way? Spent delight, having given him or herself utterly to him who is worthy of our exertions. The reason you're here, the angels sing. Jesus has been revealed and they sing glory to God. The reason Jesus came was to redeem the world so that once again, God is glorified. In each of our lives, that's your why, that you can cross the finish line of life with spent delight. And then he says, the last thing, he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people on whom his favor rests. And that's what we often get messed up with. We don't understand it. We think that means when Jesus came to the earth, he brought peace with him. And all of a sudden, peace just kind of started to, to grow out from there. Not true. The world was just as messy and dark and broken then as it is right now. But how does peace come? Peace comes to all those people on whom God's favor rests. Who does God's favor rest on? The redeemed, the people who have come to be reconciled to the Father through the death and resurrection of the Son. Jesus was born that he might die. So the peace that's gonna come to the earth is gonna come one life and one heart and one soul at a time. And as those lives are changed by the redemptive work of Christ, they begin to be assembled into individual churches. And with each life and with each church and each community, they begin to bear peace and hope and promise and light into that darkened world. That's how the peace comes. The peace is gonna come through you. And that's why in a few minutes, we're gonna do what we've started doing in this church the last few years is we take the light with us out of here. We don't blow out our candles. But we take the light out into the world because if all you do tonight is come here and get all excited and hopeful about the fact that Jesus has come to the earth to help you with your problems, you've only got half the gospel because now we go out to make it a peaceable kingdom. We go out to usher in through the presence of the Lord in us, the peace and the hope of the Lord. I don't know about you if you looked at these pictures, but I was fascinated by the pictures that Artemis I sent back as it made its trek around the moon. And there was one particular photo where the camera is like, right here, this is the moon, and then way off in the distance is the little tiny earth. And I looked at that picture and I thought, that little planet with eight billion of us running around, unable to figure it out, and I thought, you know, this is what it looks like when you pull the camera back. That's what Christmas Eve is all about. God pulls the camera back and says, look 
Look at what's really happening. There is a spiritual world and he's the creator of it. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he comes into the midst of our darkness to show us this isn't all there is. And in fact, he's started the war that we know we win. But as the battle continues, he gives us our very clear purpose, our marching orders. And he said, you become the peacemakers and you become the witnesses to what is the hope of this child. What an incredible fifth song that I pray gives you today an opportunity to pull the camera back and to see all, no matter what your circumstances may be, but to see what's really happening, what God is doing because of his love for you, because of his love for this world, and because of his promise that when he comes again, it will all be transformed to his honor and glory. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight and we thank you for the privilege of this gathering. And I thank you that we do it over and over and over again because sometimes we just need to be reminded that this life is not all there is, that you are up to so much more and you wanna involve us in everything you're doing. So encourage us, oh God, tonight that having come in, that we would go out to be the light of the world. We ask it and pray it. In the name of Christ, our Lord, amen. We're gonna have now our time to sing Silent Night together. I'm gonna ask the, the candle lighters to come forward and just be mindful of the fact that we have children that are with us and be very careful. It's a lot easier uh, for you holding the candle to just keep it straight up and down and let the person trying to light it come in from the side. It makes for less wax dripping on the carpet. So if my ushers would come down, we'll light our candles as we sing. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who walks in my light will never live in darkness. He said, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It doesn't seem very hard for us to agree with those truths today that the light that we seek to bring doesn't seem to be very well understood. But we bring it nonetheless to be a people of hope, to be a people of promise, and to remember that light, that glory that was revealed on that first Christmas Eve. Would you stand and let us sing together?